1: Welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program today, we explore Countryman, a documentary that's been touring the country in the context of National Reconciliation Week 2023. As you hear from the co-producers of the documentary, the film Countryman looks at modern Australian identity, whether we have Indigenous, non-Indigenous, immigrant or mixed heritage. Also on NITV Radio today, As National Reconciliation Week kicked off, supporters of constitutional change returned to Uluru to mark six years since the statement from the heart and the call for a voice to parliament was unveiled. We'll explore the significance of these events. And on NITV Radio today, we also hear how more than 110 migrant and cultural community organizations have put their support behind the Yes Vote for the Voice referendum, calling on all Australians to ensure a successful referendum. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. And we are broadcasting from NAM on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Bertrand Tungandame I am Bertrand Tungandame. Australia Day 1972
0: saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended.
3: And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came.
4: I am sorry.
1: This bulletin, Indigenous Voice Referendum Bill, passes Lower House. Inflation rises to 6.8% in April. And in AFL, Hawthorne's president responds to the closing of an independent inquiry into alleged racism within the club. to allow a referendum on the Indigenous Voice to Parliament has passed the lower house of parliament. Australians are one step closer to voting sometime between August and December on whether to amend the constitution to establish an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander advisory body. The bill passed with 121 votes votes in favour and 25 Liberal and Nationals members voting against. It came after a week and a half of debate and more than 100 MPs delivering speeches on the bill. The bill would now go to the Senate, where it is expected to pass. Migrant and cultural groups are starting to reveal where they stand on the voice to parliament referendum. More than 110 migrant and cultural community organisations have issued a joint, a joint resolution, which calls on all Australians to work together to ensure the referendum's success. But Jamal Dawood, who has started the group, who has started the group Multicultural Voices Against the Voice, says it could have overreach over every decision of the government if it's a debt to the constitution. He says, if the voice becomes a reality, other minority groups will also call for an advisory body.
4: If the if the voice will be successful, I will ask for a voice for non English speaking background because we we suffer more than we suffer more than the Anglo Sax that the people from English speaking backgrounds and then it will be open to all all kinds of racial uh, division in the society. We need to work together.
1: Inflation rose to 6.8% in the year to April, up from 6.3% in the 12 months to March. The price of food and drink increased by 7.9%, while rent went up by 6.1%. Higher automotive fuel costs influenced the change, sparking concerns of another Reserve Bank rate rise. NZ economists expected inflation to rise to 6.4% only. The Reserve Bank of Australia Governor Philip Lowe has confirmed the RBA underpaid staff. Appearing at a, at Senate estimates, he said the RBA had hired troubled accountancy firm PWC to review the issue last year before the firm became embroiled in a tax leak scandal. He says the RBA has put a hold on all new contracts with, with the PWC.
5: Over the last four to five years spending with PWC has um, ranged between a hundred thousand and eight or nine hundred thousand a year, so that's the kind of the, the order of spend. Uh, The PwC are going to continue to provide services under this current order contract because it doesn't make sense to change. But we've taken the decision to enter no new contracts with PwC until a satisfactory response has been forthcoming. And a satisfactory response includes both complete transparency and accountability for those involved. And we will not be seeking further services until that happens.
1: National's leader, David Littleproud, has defended the former government's prior use of external consultants amid the PwC tax leak scandal. The consultancy firm, which was also employed by the former government, is under fire for the leaking of confidential Australian government information related to tax changes for large multinational corporations, which it shared with some of its clients. Mr Littleproud says it's about balance when using consultants.
0: What, what you can do is move with agility uh, to be able to get a more cost-effective way to, to bring in skills that the department doesn't have uh, on a temporary basis. I think it's the actions of PwC subsequent to that. And I think this is about where, uh, in balancing budgets, you need to understand you're using Australian taxpayers' money and you have to do that efficiently. And if you're able to, to be able to do that by bringing people in on a temporary basis to get the skill sets that you don't have in the department and don't need full time, then that's common sense.
1: Hundreds of healthcare workers are walking off the job in New South Wales today, calling for a 6.5% wage increase. A rally is scheduled at midday for one hour in Sydney and no patients are expected to be affected. Paramedic Tess Oxley told Sky News all healthcare workers are doing it tough.
6: We're the lowest paid paramedics in the country by a considerable amount. And it's gotten to the point not where we can't go on a smaller holiday than what we'd like to do, but where we're trying to work out how to pay our bills on a daily daily basis. This is what our conversations are at work now. I'm having to decide on a week-by-week basis which bills are a priority. I'm having to try and work out just how much petrol I need to put in my car by how far I'm driving, whether I'm driving just to work or with a second job if I have to drive a little bit further to get to that job.
1: Premier Chris Mintz says he's hopeful a deal will be reached. South Australia's Upper House has passed laws to significantly increase penalties for people who engage in seriously disruptive protests. MPs debated the laws overnight, which would mean anyone charged with obstructing a public place may be fined up to $50,000 or face up to three months in jail. Premier Peter Malinoskas told the ABC people who protest lawfully are sleeping rough or peacefully picketing won't face these fines.
5: The law as it stands, uh, or today, because the the Parliament hasn't finalised this process, the law as it has always been for many, many decades is actually remaining the same. What the legislation is simply doing is changing the penalty regime uh, to make sure that it's increased so that people can't with impunity, break the law, knowing that the fine is only $750 and they can crowdfund that uh, in a way that means they can recklessly,
0: with willful abandon, uh, completely disrupt the lives of ordinary South Australians.
1: NATO says an additional seven hundred two troops will be sent to northern Kosovo to help de-escalate violent protests, which left 13 NATO soldiers and 52 sub-protesters wounded. Serb protesters on Monday threw tear gas and stun grenades at NATO soldiers in the Kosovo town of Svechan. The area's majority Serbs have never accepted Kosovo's 2008 Declaration of Independence from Serbia and consider Belgrade their capital more than two decades after the Kosovo-Albanian uprising against repressive Serbian rule. NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg has condemned the unprovoked attacks.
4: These are prudent steps to ensure that KFOR has the forces and capabilities it needs to fulfill its mandate. Violence uh, sets back Kosovo and the entire region and puts Euro-Atlantic aspirations at risk.
1: Archaeologists at Adelaide's Flinders University have revealed evidence of pre-European contact between top end Aboriginal communities and Southeast Asian visitors. The Anem Land rock paintings have been matched against Dutch archival records of watercraft from the eastern Maluku-Tengara region of Indonesia. Flinders University archaeologist Daryl Wesley explains.
5: The details on these ships Tells us that indigenous artists was either on these ships or was very close proximity to them for a long period of time, and it wasn't just a fleeting interaction between the artist and these particular fighting ships.
1: Fellow co-author Associate Professor Wendy Van Duivenvoorde said Dutch explorers in the Moluccas reported as early as the mid seventeenth century that inhabitants from the islands regularly sailed to Australia's north coast. Top artificial intelligence executives have joined experts and professors in raising the risk of extinction from the software. More than 350 signatories are using U.S. politicians to evaluate artificial intelligence with the risks posed by pandemics and nuclear war. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman is among the group as well as executives from Microsoft and Google. And in sport, Hawthorne president Andy Goas has defended the AFL club, saying it's an inclusive team. It comes as AFL chief executive Gillian McLachlan announced the independent inquiry into racism allegations at the club would end following an agreement with six of the complainants. Legal action has been suggested and Hawthorne themselves could be set to come under AFL investigation for how they handled the initial claims of racism. Mr Gowers says he hopes it doesn't come to that.
0: There are a number of um, discussions ongoing with the AFL. Of course, we'd be extremely disappointed if this matter led to uh, sanctions, including financial. Uh, But what I would say is we went into this process with the best of intention. I don't think anybody is questioning that.
1: And having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 29, Perth, showers 20, Adelaide, partly cloudy 20, Melbourne, a shower 219 degrees, Hobart, showers becoming windy 17, Albury-Wodonga, cloudy 15, Canberra, cloudy 15 as well. Wollongong, partly cloudy 21. Sydney, much the same. Newcastle, partly cloudy 22. Brisbane, sunny 24. Townsville, cloudy 24. Canes, a shower 227. Alice Springs, sunny 24. Darwin, sunny 30 degrees. And the Torres I- Strait Islands, a sunny day ahead and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News.
2: TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online.
1: I'm Bertrand Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Now in your program today, we continue exploring stories that uh, foster, promote or contribute to reconciliation that context, we have an interview of Peter Pekovich and Joseph Williams, co-producers of a documentary that fosters reconciliation and contributes to the conversations around Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Also in the program, well, we talk about the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of the reconciliation, National Reconciliation Week, supporters of the Uluru Statement from the Heart returned to Uluru. We'll be looking at the significance of uh, this uh, moment, and 110 multicultural communities have expressed their support to Indigenous Voice to Parliament, campaigning for a years vote. But now, but now, let's explore the documentary Countryman, its making, and the story behind it. I'm joined by Joseph Williams and Peter Pekotich, producers of Countryman, a documentary that has been touring the country leading up to and during Reconciliation Week 2023. The film, Countryman, fosters reconciliation and adds to the conversations around Indigenous voice to Parliament. Joseph and Peter, welcome to NITV Radio. Thank you to be on here. Good to be here. Now, during the ongoing tours, you have screenings going on, followed by Q&A sessions where members of the public can learn more and uh, have a conversation about reconciliation and uh, the story behind uh, the documentary Countryman. But before we also delve into that, can you give us some insights into the making of the film Countryman?
0: It uh, started off as a... A byproduct of COVID, actually. I first met Joseph when he was working with a, a group of artists that is with the Tenner Creek Brio. They were involved with the Sydney Biennale just before COVID, and I was introduced to him and his group through a mutual friend that I practice vipassana meditation with at at a temple in Bundanon in the Southern Highlands, and. When I met Joseph and worked with Joseph, I found out that we have a, a potentially a similar background or heritage. And we worked on this project and then COVID came and, and the the group from the Tennant Creek Rio had to get out of Sydney quickly. It was at the Cockatoo Island, which was around Circular Key, And at that time, we had those cruise ships coming in with all those people infected with COVID. And there was big risk for remote communities and everybody went home. Then during COVID, I went off on a road trip to explore far north Queensland because I couldn't go back to Europe, which is what I normally do every year because my ancestral lands are in Europe, even though I'm born in Australia. And I decided to reenact a road trip that my late immigrant father did from Sydney to Cairns to meet with cane cutters from the same islands called Kortula in Dalmatia, Croatia, where he comes from. And decided to make an ethnographic film exploring these descendants of these migrants and what their relationship is to this country, their country of their birth, and how is that offset by the relationship with their ancestral country and how that informs them as Australians. While up in far north Queensland, um, I was stuck in Queensland because New South Wales Queensland border closed, contacted Joseph, went and saw Joseph and, and put the camera on him. And asked him the same question because he has European heritage, similar. He took the camera off me and put it on me. And he said, you tell me, mate. You tell me about that cultural heritage because I want to know about it too. And then it started to become both of our stories. And then we became co-storytellers.
1: Now, question to you, Joseph. You have mixed ancestry. Tell us about yourself, your story, navigating your ancestry, Croatian and Aboriginal.
3: Croatian heritage, Aboriginal heritage I got from my home, Tennant Creek, my people, the Warramangu and other tribes I'm attached to as well. And Croatian heritage from my father, his country is from, he's a Dalmatian from Budak, a little village in uh, Croatia. But I grew up in Tennant Creek, I've been there all my life, I'm still there. Grew up with my family there. I speak my mother's language. I know her country. I know a lot of her stories, our people's stories. And I've been with my Aboriginal people the majority of my life. Yeah. And I'm wanting to learn more about my European heritage and speak my father's language and go to his, his our country one day, my ancestral lands as well.
1: So again, a chance encounter between you, Peter, and uh, Joseph, between the two of you, led to strong friendship and uh, an extraordinary journey across the country to learn more about your own stories, stories you're now taking across the country.
3: Yeah, friendship between me and Peter, even though we're countrymen, uh, Croatian countrymen, Australian countrymen, and friendship with people that come to the screenings, and fellow Croatians, making a lot of friends during this uh, tour of the screening of Countrymen, which started in Bendigo. Yeah, making a lot of friends along the way and meeting a lot of interesting people.
1: And now you're crisscrossing the country, telling the stories. But from the very beginning, from the chance encounter, you haven't stopped traveling. So in the making of the film, you've traveled 10,000 kilometers. What a journey.
0: It, it was, and it was during that period of COVID too. So it was kind of escaping the wave constantly, <laughs> and keeping out of the lockdowns, and and making friends and and connecting with communities. And the, the the process actually somehow just things started keep coming up, connections, and it even is happening on this roadshow. Like when when we're screening this film in different parts of the country, we reach out to the local Aboriginal land councils. Mm, All the time, Let them know. Mm -hmm. And we had another mixed heritage person with exactly the same mix of heritage, except from that that country. And so we're just finding so much commonality um, in in this story, but not only with people with um, First Nations background or immigrant background, there's also people that seem to relate to this story with with, with without those backgrounds because mm-hmm. it's kind of becoming like a very Australian story that's looking at um, who we are now what we are what what our identity is in Joseph's words it's we are the living history
3: yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it, it seems very much also in the context of with what the discussions are going on at the moment about who we are as Australians and what do we want to be and how do we want to be seen and how we can benefit of each other's background. One one big lesson for me, right? as a first-born, first-generation Australian, this relationship to country or conversation with country was always with Europe and becoming friends with Joseph and being taken out on his mother's country and opening up that conversation and feeling good and feeling a part of it, I, I learned that that I can also have a, a, a relationship to country here and, and also be a part of that. That's not something that I'm excluded from. And and that was a, a big shift for me in the process of making this film, but also in the process of touring it. Yeah. So a sense of belonging yeah. to
1: now, you bring so many conversations and layers in the film. There's friendship, kinship, connection to country, identity, so many things. What else?
3: Mm, truth-telling, too. Truth-telling part of Reconciliation Week. Because the truth-tellers are the people from the grassroots of the country where they come from. They're the truth-tellers, the Aboriginal people I'm talking about. They're the ones that should be heard, should be listened to in regards to reconciliation coming together. Listen to the grassroots people. They're the ones with the knowledge. And our people from this land, Australia, the Aboriginals, not getting heard.
1: And that was a part of my conversation with uh, Peter Petrovich and uh, Joseph Williams, co producers of the film Country Man. It's just part of the conversation. The full interview will be published on our website, hbs.com.au slash NITV Radio, shortly after the program.
2: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV
1: Radio. Supporters of constitutional change have returned to Uluru to mark six years since the statement from the heart and the call for a voice to parliament was unveiled. It comes as National Reconciliation Week kicks off around the country and advocates say this year's event is especially significant due to the upcoming Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum. Hain reports.
6: Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney was just a child when an important referendum was held in 1967. That referendum was to allow Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders to be included in the national population count for the first time. I was 10 years old in 1967. And up until, up for the
7: first 10 years of my life, as with many other people here today, we were not counted. Australia knew how many sheep there were, but not how many Aboriginal people. And it was, about rec- it was about the recognition that we existed. And this referendum in 2023, this year, is a continuation of that recognition. We were counted then. We want to be heard.
6: The referendum to recognise First Nations in the population was Australia's most successful yes vote, with more than 90% support. It's now a source of inspiration for those championing the voice-to-parliament referendum. Nathan Apo is a member of the First Nations Referendum Engagement Group.
3: Reflecting on,
8: as a young person, we have a big role to play in this. Um, looking at Aunty Jackie Huggins and uh, Annie Pat, Aunty Linda... You know, they've done a lot of heavy lifting.
2: Um,
8: 1967 referendum, you know, they did all the heavy lifting, they got this over the line, you know, they did all the fighting. And as a young person, it's our time. Um, it's our time to come together.
6: The Voice Referendum Engagement Group have returned to Uluru to mark six years since the Statement from the Heart was unveiled. It comes as the referendum bill has been passionately debated in Canberra, Opposition Leader Peter Dutton being one of the loudest voices to say no.
5: The voice will re-racialise our nation. At a time when we need to unite the country, this Prime Minister's proposal will permanently divide us by race. As I said, the Liberal Party supports constitutional recognition, but we do not support enshrining in our constitution a divisive, disrupting and democracy-altering Canberra-based voice. We all yearn for practical outcomes which will improve the lives of Indigenous Australians. No leader, no party and no Australian occupies the moral high ground on this
1: matter.
6: But Ms Burney says Mr Dutton contradicts himself. I'm sorry that he has decided to vote no. And if he's
7: so concerned about reconciliation, then I'd ask him to vote yes.
6: The Voice to Parliament referendum bill is expected to be passed in the House of Representatives next week, and later in June, it will face scrutiny in the Upper House. But Coalition Indigenous Australians spokeswoman, Senator Jacinda Price, is already among its most vocal critics.
8: In 1967, we voted uh, overwhelmingly in support of Indigenous Australians to be recognised as equal citizens, uh, equal opportunity in, in employment and education. That is what Australia got behind. It demonstrated we're not a racist country at all. But this referendum is creating those racial divisions. So, yes, we need to be respectful in this debate. We need to respect both the yes and, of course,
6: most certainly the no. You are not racist if you support a no vote in this country. A poll published in April by Roy Morgan suggests support for the yes campaign has dropped to 46%. There are mounting concerns that it's becoming a divisive topic of conversation and that misinformation about The Voice is rife. Advocates of The Voice say they hope the intensifying debate won't be for nothing. Professor Jack Beetson is a member of The Voice Referendum Engagement Group.
0: Sometimes when I think of this referendum, I'm just hoping that when my kids reflect on this yes vote in 60 years' time, that they're not reflecting on the fear that they had. They're not reflecting on being abused or tormented at school. That's what I'd be hoping.
6: Stolen Generations survivor Scott Wilson feels the same way. He says even though he was a child in 1967, he can still remember the impact of that referendum. And he wants to see this one, for the Voice to Parliament, also succeed.
0: I remember as a kid growing up in those days in Darwin was, you know, at a certain time at night, then all the traditional folk used to be locked up in a compound because they weren't allowed out at night time. After the 67 referendum, obviously that, that that ceased. So I'm calling on all Australians, the trains at the station. Are you going to get on, on the train with us and uh, travel on that journey? History is calling. Are you going to be left in the dust of, uh, of not actually, you know, joining with us?
2: Kira Hain, SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online, and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Now, more than 110 migrant and cultural community organizations are putting their support behind the yes vote for the voice referendum. They've issued a resolution which calls on all Australians to work together to ensure the referendum's success. Greg Diet reports.
5: More than 110 migrant and cultural community organisations are offering their support for the yes vote for the voice referendum. It's come in the form of a joint resolution where they commit their steadfast support and urge all Australians to work together to ensure the referendum's success constitutional lawyer Dr Shireen Morris from the Radical Centre Reform Lab at Macquarie University Law School helped organise the joint resolution. Dr Morris says polls show that those who speak another language at home are more likely to support the referendum. She says this shows there's plenty of goodwill for the Yes campaign amongst Australians of diverse ethnic backgrounds.
7: This is our chance to give back to Indigenous people who've given up so much throughout Australian history, and I think that's why a lot of migrants um, do feel a deep sense of empathy for the plight of Indigenous people.
5: Diana Lin is a director of community engagement at the Chinese Community Council of Australia. She says the Voice referendum presents an opportunity for diverse Australian communities to come together.
7: Let us stand in uh, the solidarity with our First Nations people. Listen to the you know cries from their hearts. Support a First Nations voice to Parliament and that we can work together with all the community to build a harmonious and prosperous country for all.
5: She says the voice referendum marks an important step towards addressing historical injustices experienced by First Nations people in Australia.
7: As Chinese in Australia, we feel a privilege to great grateful to call this country home. As a nation, we Australians. Have a rare opportunity to address this historical injustice and heal the wounds in the head of the, our country through the upcoming the First Nations Voice referendum.
5: Dr. Sunil Vyas is the president of the United Indian Associations. He says that Australia has been a world leader in social progress and that this issue is a chance for Australia to be so again.
3: Being a pioneer in that respect, we should maintain that tradition. And I believe in recent years, we've actually uh, lost some of our way in that, uh, that respect. Compare ourselves with New Zealand, how they treat their First Nations and Indigenous people as well. So this is a great opportunity for us as a nation to get together. All cultures, local, people born here, young, old, new migrants, all migrants. Let us all get together and actually make a positive move for the future and let's be a standard bearer for the future in social justice issues, we as a nation.
5: Other migrants and cultural groups are opposing The Voice – Jamal Daoud has started the Multicultural Voices Against the Voice group. He supports constitutional recognition of Indigenous people, but says the voice should be a legislated body and not enshrined in the Constitution. He believes the voice could have overreach over every decision of the government if it's added to the Constitution, even though Prime Minister Albanese and Indigenous leaders say this isn't the case.
4: To legislate this in the constitution, which will be permanent change to the constitution and could be used by the government of the day, because at the moment it is the labor government. In the future, we don't know what will happen with the liberal government, Whether the liberal government could use, could close our borders tomorrow in front of, of, of migrants or, of, or refugees under the pretext of the voice. And then it will say the voice advised us to do this or the voice, advi- uh, recommendations. So this uh, change in the constitution could open uh, 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 things to abuse by the government of the day.
5: Jamal Dayud also says if The Voice is successful, other minority groups will also call for an advisory body.
4: If the if the voice will be successful, I will ask for a voice for uh, uh, non-English-speaking background because we sub- we suffer more than we suffer more than the Anglo-Sax that the people from English-speaking backgrounds and then it, it will be open to all all kind of racial uh, division in the society. We need to work together.
5: Chinese-Australian Steve Ko also holds the same view. He says while constitutional recognition is needed for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, enshrining the voice to Parliament will further divide society.
3: And I don't want to make the voice a racial issue, but it is, uh, uh, fundamentally it is, because we're talking about one particular race, a First Nations, um, to have um, a certain uh, privilege or certain... Uh, you know, uh, recognition uh, beyond um, the Chinese community. And uh, we all come down to Australia really to escape that kind of um, dis- discrimination or, uh, or at worst the racism that we had to put up with on a daily basis.
5: Indigenous lawyer and veteran activist Michael Mansell from Tasmania is another opponent. He says The Voice doesn't offer genuine empowerment – because it can't deliver services, doesn't raise revenue, can't make laws, delivers no finances and delivers no land. Dr Shereen Morris says Michael Mansell is a critic because the voice is not radical enough for his liking. She says it amounts to a modest yet profound reform.
7: For people on the, further to the left, like uh, Michael Mansell, this is not radical enough, you know, because this is a pragmatic and highly modest um, constitutional proposal. Um, So he's right in the sense that it is not a silver bullet. Um, It doesn't completely overturn and flip the power relationship between Indigenous Australians and Australian governments. But it is an important, profound, modest yet profound reform to that power relationship.
5: The Federal Opposition's Indigenous Affairs Spokesperson Jacinta Price, who is herself Indigenous, is opposed to the voice, saying there still isn't enough known about the details of the proposal.
8: Why would the Australian people have faith in a Trojan horse? Uh, Why would the Australian people want to sign a blank cheque? We are not just dealing with the lives of our most marginalised Indigenous Australians, but we're dealing with the lives of all Australians.
5: For the voice referendum to succeed, it needs to be approved by a majority of voters in a majority of states. In the absence of bipartisan support for a referendum proposal in Australia, history shows they usually fail. With opposition leader Peter Dutton opposing the voice, the Yes campaign has a more challenging task. Dr Shireen Morris says she's optimistic nonetheless.
7: There are remnants. Of bipartisan support you know, The idea of a constitutionally guaranteed advisory body Was developed by Indigenous leaders In collaboration with constitutional conservatives Including the Liberal now backbencher MP Julian Lisa Who uh, recently gave a speech in Parliament Making the conservative case A very inspiring conservative case For a constitutionally guaranteed Indigenous voice um, and there are a handful of other uh, Liberal federal MPs who say that they will uh, be advocating yes for this proposal.
5: Greg Diet, SBS News.
2: Visit sbs.com.au/slash radio.
1: Now, a new report has revealed rental affordability is at a nine-year low. The finding doesn't come as a surprise to many Australians who are sacrificing large portions of their salary to rental payments. Katrina Stewart reports.
8: Rental affordability is at a nine-year low and households across the country are feeling the strain. Alice lives in a townhouse in Sydney's inner west with two other people – Despite sharing the rent, it's still taking up a huge portion of her wage. It is definitely a substantial burden, especially being young and living, trying to be able to afford groceries going up, energy and heat prices going up so much. It's definitely really troublesome. A new report from ANZ and CoreLogic has found that an undersupply of rental accommodation and an increase in renters is leading to significantly higher prices. Head of research at CoreLogic, Eliza Owen, explains.
9: Incomes have grown, but not as much as rents, and this has led to a deterioration in rental affordability. At the median level, we estimate that households would need to spend about 31% of their income to pay for typical rents. If you look at the lower end of the income and rental spectrum, or what we would call the 25th percentile. Uh, you're looking at around 51% of income needed to service rent. According
8: to the report, the portion of income required to service rent has increased across the country since the start of the pandemic. Rental affordability is most strained in Hobart and Adelaide. Ms Owen says large cities like Sydney and Melbourne are in fact more affordable relative to income.
9: With 32% of income required across Sydney to service rents and around 26% across Melbourne. If you compare that with smaller capital cities like Hobart, for example, 34% of income is required to service typical rents in that city. Sydney still comes in as the most unaffordable
8: market for home ownership, with Sydney siders needing more than half of their income to service a new mortgage. They also require 12 years to accumulate a 20% deposit. For renters like Alice, the dream of home ownership seems like a distant one. I definitely am hearing a lot of people ending up back with their parents, especially people wanting to save up a little bit of money and just not be completely living paycheck to paycheck. I definitely can't envision myself buying a home anytime soon. I don't know anyone who can envision themselves buying a home in Sydney anytime soon. This, combined with higher building and construction costs, is pushing more people out of the housing market and into the rental craze. Katrina Stewart, SBS News.
2: Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio.
1: And this brings us to the end of today's program for this Wednesday afternoon. I am Bertrand Tungandami, thanking you for staying with us today. Till next time, bye for now.